You know I normally don't forward these types of things, but this one was so good that I simply had to. The Two Half Squads is a show dedicated 100% to advanced squad leader. It's located at www.thetwohalfsquads.com. Please pass this on to 100 of your friends and include me in the forward. Don't break the chain. Please, please pass it on. If you don't, you will reveal your callous character, and bad luck will descend upon you and your family for a thousand years! Please pass it on. To the two half squads, the one and only show about 100% advanced squad leader. Why so quiet, Jeff? Oh, I suddenly remembered. I think Robin has a client upstairs. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I forgot about that. I'm Dave. I'm Jeff. And this is show number 39. 39. <laughs> and it's August 2nd. Yeah, how about that? Moving right along, the summer is uh, quickly slipping through our fingers. Yes, Jeff and I were just complaining about that. Yeah, lamenting. Yeah, not enough time, time to yeah. game or to make this show. Yeah. But, I mean, if ever there was a good reason to invent a time machine, it would be so that you and I could game more. Yes. That whole thing but about wait. going back and stopping Lee Harvey no, Oswald and all that, you know. But if we have a time machine, we would just have to go back in time and keep replaying the same scenario over and over again. Oh, yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. Or... Because we wouldn't have played it the... Oh, I don't know. My, my brain can't handle it. Yeah, we'll have to make a movie about it. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about Squad Leader, and we may as well talk about it since we don't have time to play. <laughs> yeah, you know what the great thing about this show is? We talk about Squad Leader, and people listen. And they want to hear us talk about Squad Leader. So, you know, we can make stuff up. Then why do they keep checking doll on the page? Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> We've got more dolls than we I think we they're deserve. just doing that to tick us off. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I think somebody's even hey. going back through the old episodes and ticking dull on the old ones. <laughs> I think so, too. I <laughs> well, let's face it. Advanced Squad Leader is dull. And maybe it's dull. It's dull. Just yeah. open the rule book, folks. Yeah. So we're doing the best we can here. <laughs> we're trying. Oh, my goodness. I know who's checking dull. It's probably people that don't play Squad Leader, like, you know, golf. People <laughs> play golf and do have other kinds of hobbies. Someone's searching um, American Sign Language yeah. and they find the podcast right. and they're they like, this, the is dull. this is dull. <laughs> Didn't learn anything. Why did I listen to that old show? Yeah. So, uh, what are we going to talk about, Dave? Well, we think we're going to have a couple interviews. Okay. Yep. And we're going to try and do some smoke part. Two. No, OBA. OBA part two. We already yeah. did smoke. Yeah. You're thinking of the time machine. <laughs> go back and redo smoke part two. Let's Mr. do it again. Mr. Wizard, yeah. I don't want to be a... Remember that cartoon? Oh, well. Yeah. Tudor um, Turtle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've had some fun. We we did a nice uh, newbie-doo episode. Thank you for helping us out with that. We did time. do a newbie-doo episode. Yeah, we're getting good response on that. And we have played Advanced Squad Leader, actually. Yeah, we have been playing. And we got some dates coming up next week we have some on the schedule and have i've kept my game in once a week which just yep. got all that other stuff in the way yeah too still and vacations and i'll have extra time to play now that i'm not going to gen con yeah i know i'm so sorry to wah, hear that wah, wah, wah. such a such a uh a tizzy i'm in 
about not being able to go. Yeah, well. So, next year, I know. Next year. I'm, I'm tearing up. Or maybe we can go to Oktoberfest then. Yeah. In the fall. Right. But we'll have to see. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on with the listener mail. Listener mail. And we have this letter for Pain. From Verka. Verka? Okay. In Spain. Hey, greetings from historically <laughs> unknown Spain. One of these days, we must talk about the ASL Spanish community. Well, at least I think it would be an interesting topic for ASL around the world. What do you think, Jeff? I think that's a great idea. A whole new series. Yeah. ASL around, around the, world. the world. And we interview people from different countries. Yeah. You know what the best part will be? The music. For the letters section? Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get some really good international music. Oh, you know, I can play the harmonica. Or no, it's the harpsichord. No, it's the... <laughs> yeah, I get those two mixed up all the time. <laughs> Especially when I put a harpsichord in my mouth. <laughs> the harmonica. That was... Uh, ben Franklin made that. But anyway, what other ideas do you have for shows, Jeff? Um... Oh, I've got some, yeah, we talked about some ideas for show. We got a very good idea from Louis Tokars, who said, hey, and it's not, not really an original idea, but... Well, we had it from some listeners, too, yeah. in listener mail over the years. Yeah, but Louis got us really, uh, we're hot on the idea of up. doing a Vassal show. Completely, totally, and thoroughly, 100% about Vassal. So I, I'd say that's going to come up in the very near future. But we don't promise anything. Well, if you consider, you know, the age of the universe. Being six months, the very near future. Yeah. Six months? Yes. Six to eight months. Fairly safe bet. Yeah. Uh, we've, we're also going to do a show about uh, possibly cavalry. I would like to do cavalry. Not, yeah, not cavalry. Possibly cavalry. <laughs> I don't know. Can you do a show about possibly cavalry? Possibly. I don't know. And we've got some interviews coming up, too. These we've, guys don't even know they're going to be interviewed yet. We need to check in with Chaz again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. And didn't you want to interview all the various guys who make all the different fanzines? Oh, yeah, like absolutely. You from the Trenches yes. and... Um, well, we've done Banzai. What's the... What's, oh, mm -hmm. oh uh, LFT. LFT. Yep. Everybody. Like yeah. That. All the fanzines. That, all the many fanzines. There's a lot of people to interview. Yeah. Also like to get Mr. Evan Sherry on the show. Yes. From uh, Rally Point. Rally Point. Yeah. Wonderful. So... He can't, you know, it could be he's in hiding because he knows we want to interview him. <laughs> and you have a letter? That's what I'd be doing. I do have a letter. I've got a big letter. This letter is from is from Rick Reinish down at the uh, Texas ASL group. Uh, they just got done having their big tournament for the year. And uh, he wrote quite a lengthy letter, but he says they had 56 participants this year, which is pretty nice. Uh, a lot of new faces, or a number of new faces, he says. ASL was going fast and furious for all four days. Lots of games played. Gave away a ton of stuff on their raffle on Saturday. I'm still waiting. I'm checking with the UPS man to see where our stuff is. And I'll just read a couple of the things he wrote here. Um, uh, from the Thursday night playing of the Ferocity Fest mini tournament, Brian Roundhill took home the Allied Commander Diorama. Diorama, they give away these great-looking... Yeah, award thingies. Yeah, award thingies. That's very well said. Gary Fortenberry garnered the Access Commander diorama. 
in another mini-tournament on Thursday for the Tyrant's Lair Assault of Central Berlin using Critical Hits Berlin Tyrant's Lair. Paul Hornbeck was the lucky participant who walked away with that game. Lucky participant, yeah, you know, lucky is right. Takes when, a little when bit it talks of luck. about squad later, luck is definitely in there. Uh, the John Van Martyr ASL Sportsmanship Award was presented to Mike Cadeau. It's a C A D I E U X if you're writing He's Mike to French. send him some some flowers or something. Oh, Mike is a fantastic ambassador of the game. His demeanor during play and his support of the hobby. So thank you, Mike. We haven't met you, but you sound like a nice guy. We need more people like you. Yeah. Do you know who John Van Martyr is? No. Did he die for his faith? Uh, <laughs> possibly. ASL Sportsmanship Board. Yeah, I don't know who that is. We'll have to ask Rick about that. The Audi. The Audi. Audi. <laughs> Audi. Do you have an any or an Audi? I was thinking of the car. The Audi Murphy Trophy for the most snakes over the course of the tourney was won by John Heiler, 38. Now, is that his weight? No, is that's that the, his that's age? the number of snakes that he rolled. Oh, okay. Okay, well, 38 snakes. Uh, and in a tour de force, Gary Fortenberry racked up another record, surpassing his record of 53 from last year, of 58 boxcars in four days. Way to go, to Gary. Take, he took home the Colonel Clink Award. Now, that's... <laughs> <laughs> nice work. I know nothing. <laughs> Schultz. I know nothing. <laughs> We can let's do all of our really bad uh, Hogan's Heroes imitations now. Hogan, what is this man doing here? <laughs> um, major the Major Johnson, <laughs> not Minor Johnson. There's a Major Johnson award. I don't know. This seems inappropriate for a squad <laughs> leader tournament. <laughs> okay, you lost me on that. Okay, one. I'll tell you off the air. Okay. <laughs> It's for adult ears only. <laughs> the Major Johnson Award was won by John Hyler of Houston, playing several huge scenarios over the weekend, starting with uh, Bloody Red Beach on Thursday and following up with seven more scenarios over the course of the weekend. Wow, that wow. guy, must, he must have just... Bloody no Red Beach yeah. from Tarawa. Yeah. Wow. Get zooks. Uh, for other major prizes, the team of Jim Farrell from Fort Worth and Bill Dory from Houston and Paul Chamberlain from Lathen, New York, uh, walked away with the overall team tourney prize. And for individual awards, Jim Farrell from Fort Worth caught Gary Fortenberry when his dice left him at the wrong time to take the overall 10-3 award, with Gary being awarded the 9-2 runner-up. Wow, nine! well, 10 wins and 3 losses. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you can register for next year already. It's up on their website. It's a good idea. You better save the date. It's uh, June 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 26th. It's nice they put them all in a row like that. Yeah, because the tournaments that like Monday and then Wednesday and then yeah. you come Friday, it messes up the it's whole It's kind week. of a mess, yeah. So that's it from Rick. Thanks, Rick, for that update. We're sorry we could not be there this year. We, you know, we, we try to get around as much as we can, but the old, the two half squads uh, travel van is uh, up on the rack right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In need of repair. Yeah. And here's a letter from Tom. Dave, I thought you would be interested in this chart. And then he gives us a link to a chart on Board Game Geek. It's an ASL module dependency chart. Very valuable tool, especially for new players. There. Yes. Very nice. And it's in color. I like that a lot. 
So it says what module you need to play, what or how you should build, or what. Yeah, how you sh- how you should build up. You start off with the rule book, and then what modules sort of descend from. Yeah, and which so if modules. I wanted to get this one, I'd need to have these other ones first, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you go from the rule book to Beyond Valor down to For King and Country. Once you have For King and Country, you could get Hollow Legions, uh, La Croix de Guerre, etc. So uh, it's nice. We'll put this up. Very nice. A lot of people ask us that, especially all the rookies we have playing. Yeah. And from Mika Solman, we talked about the errata. He pointed out that the Texas ASL group does have the errata on uh, for printout available at their site. He had bought Rulebook 2 and stickied every errata out there. It says it took him two days. <laughs> but, folks, it could be worth it to get that done. And he points out you can print those out on sticky paper yourself in your printer, and then you cut them and stick them right over the original rulebook uh, mistakes. So okay. Well, much that's... better than handwriting them on the side. That's oh, yeah, point. much better. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Make up. I got to do that. Put that on my list. Uh, let's see. Oh, Joseph Regan wrote us and said, I like the sounds of the game, which is a uh, part that you did of the yeah, from the Castle Club. From yeah. the Castle Club. You did it uh, last episode. Uh, he liked that. It's nice to be able to play face-to-face with people and talk strategy and hear the dice in the dice cups. I mostly play on Vassal, he says, with Skype, which is almost the same, but not quite. Oh, that was from Jason. Sorry. I'm Jason. I said that was from uh, Joe Reagan, but no, it was from Jason. Oh, but we do want to thank Joe for that kind donation. Yes, thank you, Joseph. Joseph Reagan is one of our most generous benefactors. We're going to erect something in his honor. Yes, we are. We don't know what it is yet. Might be the Major Johnson Award. I don't know. Stop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what else? An idea from Michael Sundberg. Check out Warren Zevon's <laughs> Warren Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. They used to sing this when he was in the 82nd Airborne when he was a young paratrooper. I found that fascinating. I just had to read that on the air. I know that song, and Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. It just seemed ironic that they'd be singing that in the 82nd Airborne, and he recommended we use that somewhere on our show. Don't know that we will, but we just wanted to mention that. I know actually the perfect part uh, when we should put that on the show. A warrior from the land of the midnight sun With a Thompson gun for hire Fighting to be done The deal was made in Denmark On a dark and stormy day So he set out for Biafra To join the bloody fray Okay, well I'm not, I'm not one to argue with somebody from the 82nd Airborne, but Okay. There you go. There, there it is. Headless Thompson Gunner. You, you got to hear the whole song. It's got a nice little yeah. story about him. Comes back from the dead kind of thing. So. Not familiar. But I'll listen to it. Okay, here's a uh, letter we got from Ian Daglish after you did that nice book review of his, Operation Blue Coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes, guys, fantastic review. Many thanks. I should be delighted to do an interview anytime. We could discuss my research and writing. Also, my ASL designs. And my work in progress with MMP. Of course, then he'd have to kill himself. (laughs) We're going to slate that interview for you, folks. Uh, I'm remembering back to our interview with John Hill. Uh Uh-huh. 
and he was telling us about his work with various secret CIA, CIA type yeah. thing. And, and we made, I made the usual joke mm-hmm. where he, he said something like, uh, yeah, and I had all these things that I couldn't tell any, yeah, I couldn't tell anybody. And I said, well, you could tell us, but then you'd have to kill us. And he said he hated when people say yeah, that. Yeah, he said, I hate it when people say that. That's, <laughs> that's not what would happen. They'd go after the guy that spilled the information. So I guess he'd have to kill himself. Correct. If he told us, he'd have to kill himself. So. Ian goes on to write one correction. The Operation Blue Coat paperback is a different book from the Over the Battlefield. Only about half as long. Before the Operation Blue Coat project, I established myself with pen and sword by giving them two in the Battleground Europe series of battle guides. So the paperback Blue Coat and Goodwood are very different from the Over the battlefield. uh, Over the battlefield hardbacks, right. Okay. So in both cases, the hardbacks are about twice as long with a lot more detail. Oh, okay, because I think on the air I said they were the same. Yeah. So they're really quite different. They're different. Okay, thank you, Ian. And this from Yorn. Sometimes hard to listen for non-native speaker, but I think I catch 98.6% of it. Many greetings from Wargame Diaspora in South Germany. Great podcast. Sad not to discovered it earlier. Well, it's not too late, Jorn. Thanks not for too late, Jorn. Yeah. And we will be trying to get it translated into German. Yes, my wife can translate it into German. If anybody would like to hear any particular portion of the show translated into German, we can do that. And Dave, of course, speaks um, Big Latin or something, don't you? Sometimes. Something. Uh, Jeff... Uh, here's one to me. Jeff, regarding your adventures with Tarawa, something I found while trying to track down the Octagon JPEG that comes with vassals showing the turn phases, and then there's a link here to uh, a uh, Tarawa. So this is a link to an excellent uh, after-action report, uh, complete with pictures and um, a lot of detail of, on somebody's play of the Tarawa campaign. And you know, I have a lot of fond memories about my playing that with Joe, even though we only got about a third of the way into it, but I definitely would like to play that again sometime. Add that to the list. Add it to the list. You're going to put that on my gravestone. I am. Yes. M- meant to play more Taro games. <laughs> this letter goes on to ask us if we have, if we know where we can find this JPEG. It's the Octacon JPEG that comes with Vassal showing the turn phases for Tarawa. Don't know. Don't know. No idea. But Sorry. We've got many, many smart listeners out there, so maybe somebody will know what this is about, and if you send us that information or post it on our website, we'll make sure that it gets to this listener. Sorry, I don't have his uh, signature on this. I'm not sure who this was from, but we'll get it to him. And that does it for listener mail for today. Let's move on to something else. Let's move on. I did uh, read a very interesting book about two weeks ago. Which was? I read the whole book, actually. What do you think of that? Uh, it was called One Man's War, The World War II Saga of Tommy Lamore, written by Tommy Lamore and Dan Baker. Very good book. It was all about this guy who grew up poor in Texas, like uh, middle, mid-Texas, obviously during the Depression. And... Um, Always had a love of airplanes, always dreamed about flying airplanes, but, uh, you know, it's very poor. Spent a lot of his younger years helping out his mom get to 
you know, he'd deliver papers and stuff like that. But as the war came around, he had an opportunity to join. So he joined up and got in the Air Corps right away. And it's all about his exploits. And this guy did everything. He, he started off as a tail gunner in a B-17. Flew some planes over to the Pacific. Then came back, flew planes over to England. Was a tail gunner in England and fought, did, I don't know, maybe 30 bombing missions or something like that. Really amazing stories about about the way they'd fly in their formation, the way that then the Nazi planes would come in at them, and the way they defended. I mean, just terrifying. He would talk about how how cold it was back there in the tail gunner yeah, position. Yeah, on the whole plane, oh, just so freezing, and and yeah, just yeah. all the hardships just in living through that, and the terror of living through that every day, and talking about how some of the guys just were falling apart. Yep, mentally from the from the stress. Then his plane was shot down, and he did was he was able to bail out and land safely. He was then um, got in with some French resistance, and he fought with the French resistance for wow. a number of months. Went on some blowing up bridges and stuff like that. Made really good friends with the French resistance, and they eventually uh, became they trusted him, and they gave him the code words that that were going to go around right before the invasion of Normandy. And so he was really involved in it at that time. Then he got betrayed, and this was all very interesting about how the French resistance worked and how they, you didn't know who to trust. Yeah. Even people you thought you could trust, you couldn't trust, oh, I'm I mean, sure. which was terrifying in itself. Well, at some point, he was he actually thought he was going to get moved out of the country and go back to England, but he was betrayed at the last minute and captured by the Gestapo. Oh. They took him as a prisoner. They questioned him. He went through quite a bit of torture with them. They sent him to a prison camp with a lot of other uh, American airmen where he lived for a while. I don't remember the name of the camp. He got out of there and got transferred to another camp with a bunch of... He thought he was going to get sent home, but the Nazis, for some reason, really nailed him. Sent him to a Polish prison camp then where he was he was in with all these Polish soldiers and terror, even worse conditions than the last camp. He and another guy escaped from that camp, worked their way across the countryside, and got in with the Russians, this huge Russian colonel, Ivan, like 10 feet tall. He talks about this guy. You swear the guy's 10 feet tall, like he could lift a jeep. He works with the Russians. They eventually trust him enough, and he goes out on raids with them. And he talks about, and I, I was not familiar with this, but he talks about the Mongolian terror troops. That's what he called them, that the Cossacks? Russians utilized. Yeah, the Russians utilized these Mongolian terror troops. That was the exact words that he called them. And these, even the Gestapo were, were terrified of these guys. These were, rode around on horses, these small, on ponies. Yeah. Were just the most horse. despicable, frightening, terrible human beings you could imagine. Um, Tommy, then, he, he also... Uh, Aids in in liberating a, a Polish camp, a death camp uh, oh, for yeah. women, and falls in love with a woman. They go back to Paris uh, after the war. Now the war ends. He goes back to Paris with her. They fall in love. I mean, it's it's such an it's amazing, amazing story. It, you'd think it's a movie. And in fact, I I did read a couple of the reviews on Amazon, and a couple people said this can't be real. Nobody could have done all this. Yeah, it can be real. I think it can be real. It easily can be real. Yeah. I heard a Holocaust survivor telling a story that was similar at the Holocaust Museum mm -hmm. in Illinois here. 
where he was, you know, gone through and captured by these guys and, that and those guys. And yeah, um, there are just uh, many amazing stories yeah. out there. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, uh, his girlfriend, who he was so in love with, this Polish girl, went back to Poland, and he went back to the United States. And oh, they, they did. A, there was a little bit of talk of of how he managed to live with a lot of you know a lot of terrible memories haunting him for the rest of his life. But just an amazing story. It was a really good read, a fast read. It's about two hundred and fifty pages or something like that. So I recommend it. I recommend it. it really gets you. Is an up close personal one man story of his of his plight through World War Two, and that's an impromptu book review yeah. by Jeff. Which impromptu, is good because we don't have a theme music for the book review yeah. portion of the show yet. So uh, we could write one. We couldn't have played anything anyway. It's yet. time for books. It's time for books. The two half squads book review. <sighs> Maybe some classical music like yeah, that'd be better. Box art review <laughs> might be better. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, what I'm are you in, doing? I'm in here. What are you doing in here? I'm clipping counters. Using what? My nail clippers, Dave. I'm clipping counters. Jeff, Jeff, we've got to get to the tournament. People are expecting I know, us. I know. I know. Our, our fan base is there, Dave, Jeff. Dave, I oh, cannot oh. go to the tournament. With ragged corners on my counters. Leave but, me alone. I got to clip these. But all, but all two of our listeners are there waiting uh, to I've hear. I've only from got four hundred counters to go. Give me. Can you come back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Here, 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 here. No, it won't take here, eight here. hours. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I'm, Remember the C four corner cutter. Oh, the C four corner cutter. I totally forgot. How could you have forgotten? Here, here it is. Take the C four, Jeff. I can cut hundreds of counters. Hundreds of counters. Line them up right in there. All right. Hold that blade. All right. Ready. Go! Wow! Load in another five! There you go! This is amazing! Ten more! Oh my gosh! Another ten! Can anything be easier? This is fantastic! This is a miracle! How did I ever get by without a C4 corner cutter? You ready to go to the tournament? Dave, I'm ready to go! Let's go! Don't let ragged corners ruin your next squad leader tournament. Get a C4 corner cutter from Counterculture. When you order, mention the two half squads, and they'll toss a dollar into the shipper. Yep, a buck in the box just for mentioning the two half squads. And there's no time limit on this offer. Something else, the C4 has gone retail, so check with your local hobby or game store to see if they have it. Speed up the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. Get the C4 corner cutter. Less time clipping means more time gaming. And a buck in the box, too. All right, and now... Let's get on to the main event. Off-board artillery player aid. All right. This is a part two in our series of OBA. OBA. We're going to kind of combine this with a tutorial. Yeah. We just thought of that brilliant idea. And Jeff's going to uh, set up his board. Yeah. So I picked a board because we're going to go through the uh, off-board artillery chart. And uh, to help us along, rather than just reading through it, we're gonna we've actually set something up on board ten, and uh, we'll put a picture along with with the audio so you can follow along with us. And we've got some some Russian infantry set up. Should I go through where everybody's set up? Um, yeah, and if you don't have board ten at home, you can vassal it up also to take yes, a look you at it. Go ahead, Jeff. What do you got there? So just for uh, the sake of illustration, we have put a squad in. Hex CC6, which is uh, open ground, but right next to a stone building. 
adjacent to a building. Just uh, by himself, a, no yeah, concealment. Yeah, 426, right. No concealment. He's just out there. Then there's a 628 squad in DD7, which is a wooden building. There is a 447 squad in CC8, which is woods. And right next to him, there is a 237 squad. Half squad. Half squad in BB7, which is in a stone building. And adjacent to him, also in a stone building, is an 8-1 leader. And he's concealed also? Right. Everyone's concealed except for... Except for that 426. And the first 426. And the 236 conscript half squad you have over there in Z2. Right. And where's your radio man? Your My radio leader? man? I've got a leader. This is an 8-0 German leader that is over in hex... W3 on the upper level of a stone building. So and he's got a nice view of the town. Well, parts of the town. Parts of the town. And he's a onboard observer. Yes, he he's is. He's a good order leader with a functioning radio. Or he could have a field phone, but he's got a radio in this case. Yeah. And he's going to be the observer. So. So that's shit. it. So we're going to turn right to the to our player A chart and just follow it right to Well, it. it's your prep phase. It's my prep phase, and I am going to try for some artillery. So, so the first thing you're going to do is roll for what? I'm going to roll for my uh, radio contact to make sure that I've got radio contact. All right, and this has to be done at the start of your prep fire phase, by the way. Right. I don't know. Uh, well, and you're going to roll two dice, and it has to be less than or equal to the radio contact value on printed on the, the radio counter. Which is an eight for your German. Right. So I'm rolling in my head. I'm rolling. And oh, I got a seven. And that will grant you radio contact. Yeah, this wouldn't be much of a tutorial if we if I rolled like five times in a row and couldn't get radio contact. No, or rolled a twelve boring. and broke the radio. Twelves will break the radio. Yeah. We covered that on our last show, I do believe. Now you did have some dyro modifiers that are listed right here on this player aid. Neg one for currently having radio contact. So we had it last turn, neg right. one next turn. Neg one for maintenance of the 70 or 80 or higher millimeter battalion mortar OBA. Because the mortars that were with the units, like you might have on board, mm-hmm. can, were often taken from the squads, platoons, whatever in the war, and established as a mortar OBA. Off board. Okay. So um, you would have a neg one for that because they're your guys' mortars that your guys usually carry, and now they're providing off board artillery instead of direct, fu- well, direct fire, well, fire from on board. Right. Okay. And if you're in the Pacific Theater, that's a plus one. Harder to get that radio contact, not for the field phone, but for the radio. Okay. In those jungles and the wetness and the corrosion and all those factors. Right. So the flowchart says contact and access. Is radio contact established or maintained? It is established. Yes. So you're going to go down to is a spotting round or an FFE2 on board? At this point, no, because this is my first attempt at at uh, artillery. So no. That is correct. <laughs> Had you said no, well, I'm, I'm kind of looking back. Uh, if you said no to radio contact established or maintained, obviously... 
you end your OBA actions because you don't have anything on board and you don't right. have radio contact. Yeah. Um, but we're going to flow with like the. Yeah, we're going to flow down. Yeah, we're going to answer not, all these. Not to the negative. Correctly, always. so we keep flowing through to some res- resolution. <laughs> yes, instead yeah. of stopping dead in our tracks. Is spotting round or FV2 on board? No. So now you're going to have to go to the. They call it a chit draw. Yes, be careful when you say that. Yeah. A, Ch- a chit, chit draw. draw. I like to use the deck of cards. Yeah. So each nationality is assigned the number of colored chits, red and black. Right. That's listed on the... On the nationality chart. Nationality chart. So I would spread out the cards, as we've mentioned in our previous show. Right. And you draw one. He's drawing now. I'm drawing. And I hope I get a black one. It is a black black one. one. If it was red, it would be no access, which said... I have to just look. Footnote B. If this is the second permanently removed red shit, the battery access is lost for the duration of scenario. Very true. Right. So if you draw two reds any time during the game, you're done with that OBA. But you have a black, so we get to go down the flow chart. So the question becomes, is non-NOBA, which is naval off-board artillery, FFEC on board, which means you had... The OBA going last turn, and so you have a, F, a fire for effect continuation, FFEC, on the board. And your answer is no. No. So you get to place an artillery request. All right. I'm placing an artillery request. And now where can I place it, Dave? All right. Now, and I can place my artillery request anywhere I want, right? Anywhere on the board, anywhere. actually. Okay. Well, I... I could look at the board and think, well, I'd really like to take that 226. It's in Z2. Oh, yeah, I'd like to take that. Oh. Yeah, I hate to have him come running across the street and knock out your radio operator, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I would. I'm, for some reason, I'm very worried about that guy. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some Mongolian terror troops with him, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm worried about it. The problem with that is if I pick that for my artillery request, if I'm off... By too much, I run the risk of bombing myself. Yes, you do. If it gets too close to my own troops, of course, they're not immune to this just because it's my artillery. Correct. So I'm going to pick something a little bit farther away. So I'm going to pick this grouping that we have set up uh, farther down on the board. And in fact, um, I could pick CC7, sort of right in the middle of the action. CC7 looks good. Now, I think we neglected to state that your radio operator, he's on. Level one counter is yeah. It? I did say that he's on the upper level. Okay, so he gets a nice view of the town. He can see over uh, walls and he can see uh, over buildings to some extent. Yep, he can see right over that wall. Yeah, in the middle. So there is no uh, squad actually where he's going to place this in CC seven. Oh, he's I... hoping to place it, but he's hoping to get enough effect for the surrounding area. Right, it's going to hit in a circle around that placement, yeah, so it's a good, it, great placement, Jeff. Yeah. All right, so next. You place your AR. Okay, it's placed. If correcting the spotting round, you place the AR within 18 hexes, not in the spotting round hex. So if you already have a spotting round on board somewhere else, like over here and what hex is that? Uh, EE4 way back over there where it's not going to hit anything, then you're going to be correcting a spotting round. 
um, but you are just placing it. So yeah. if we go down to, does the observer have a line? Of, oh, and I would like to point out, there's this big bold letter A to the right of what we just read on yeah. the flow chart. Mm -hmm. That's where you pick up if you're coming from converting or correcting a spotting round. So if you're correcting one, you don't start with contact battery access. You go right to correcting the spotting round because you already have all that done. Gotcha. Okay. Going down to the flow chart, does the observer have a line of sight to a location in AR hex? And there's an A asterisk note footnote on that. Whenever location is used here, it refers to non-aerial location. Okay. Makes sense. So do you have a line of sight to a location in that hex? I do have a line of sight, actually, to the ground level location. Excellent. So that's yes. If it was no, you would remove the artillery request. If yes, if there are enemy ground units in or adjacent to the artillery request So, hex, so let's, let's go back, though. Yeah. So why would I make a request and then have it Remove. not be there? I, I suppose my, yeah, guess is on that, well, my guess is on that is I'm thinking I've got a line of sight to it, but then we yes. might string it and find out, ah, you don't have, a, don't line have a line of sight. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the only way that would happen. Yeah. But this looks like uh, yeah, I, it looks. I'm a little bit close to the corner of a building, but I've, I very clearly have a clear line of sight to the ground level on that CC7. Yes. Now it's interesting. Also, if it, if you didn't have a line of sight to that because it's blocked by some building, and it was an FFE2 that you were just moving over a little bit to hit a new area, mm -hmm. hoping you could see it, it's the opponent's option if it's an FFE2 to either cancel the fire mission or resolve the FF2 in place and flip it to an FFEC. If not, access is lost if there's no spying around on board. So he can say, oh, yeah, go ahead and resolve it or just take it off entirely because you can't see it. Yeah. So if it's going to hit my guys, I would tell you to take it off. Right. If it's going to hit your guys by accident, I'd say leave it on. Yeah, okay. Or if I want you to use up that FFE. Yeah. So the answer was yes. If there are enemy units in or adjacent to the AR hex, are all of them unknown to the observer? Are all of them unknown to the observer? Well, certainly all the guys that are concealed are unknown to the observer. Correct. And can is F is the four two six known? Well, the four two six in in C uh, in C six he's not concealed, but he cannot be seen by my observer because he's right behind the building. Correct. That's a blind it's a block, hex. That's a blind hex. Yeah. I mean, we haven't strung it. We think it's a blind hex. We're sure it's a blind hex. Yeah, I'm sure it's a blind hex. This has a asterisk on it also. D, a known enemy unit is an unconcealed enemy unit that you have a line of sight to. However, concealed units in non-concealment terrain and in line of sight of the observer are always considered known for him to him for OBA actions. Now, that's interesting because if you had a squad in CC7... Open ground, concealed, which is legal to do. If he hasn't moved in your line of sight or anything, you got right. set up there at the beginning of the game because it was out of line of sight, and then you moved up in the hex, and you suddenly had a line of sight to him. Normally, if you shot rifles at him, he would be concealed. Yeah. But for the sake of the OBA actions, he becomes known. And does he lose concealment, or is he just considered known? Well, it doesn't say that. Okay. I don't know for sure, but... So uh, far, that, yeah. no, he's just considered known. Okay. Yeah, it would state take off the counter. Yeah, so. all right. 
So now you have a situation where you have enemy units in or adjacent to it, but they're but all of them are unknown. So right. that answer is yes. Now you don't get to resolve your FFE because you're gonna like kind of. I think it goes like this: the radio operator guy is gonna say, "Well, do you see the enemy and how many of them are there?" and blah blah blah. And you're gonna say, "No, you don't see the enemy. I don't see the enemy." Well, this ammunition is valuable. Are you sure we should call it in on this position? Yeah. There's some questioning going on or some doubt that you'll get it because they're going to ask you to take an extra chit draw or card draw. Okay. So I'm going to fan out all my chits, my cards, playing cards, and Jeff's going to pick. Now, the first card I picked, which was a black one, huh? we've removed from the deck. Yes, thank you. And it says so it's out not, for the it's game. not in here now. So my chances of picking a red card are increased this time around. Correct. So I'm hoping uh, even more for a black one. So I'll pick. And yes, I get another black one. Another black. Of course, if it was red, you would lose, the excess would be lost, and you would remove your spotting round or your artillery request in this case. Yeah. Now, is the artillery request in a pre registered hex of its battery, and you wish to place an FFE 1? Is it in a pre-registered hex? No, in this case, we didn't, in this scenario, we'll say we there was no pre-registered hexes. Which would only be allowed by special rule, right. typically. Yeah. So no, then you have to place your spotting round in your hex and make that accuracy die roll. Okay. So you're going to roll both dice. So I'm taking away the artillery, artillery request. request, and I'm putting in the spotting round. Spotting round. And that's in place. And now I roll for accuracy. Roll both dice, the white and the colored. Or you're not rolling both dice, not the white and the colored, sorry. You're rolling one dice to see if it's accurate. The Germans are accurate on a one or two on that one dice, so you're hoping for a one or two. Okay. And I roll. Oh, we got a two. I got a two. So it's accurate. Oh, this is working out it's well. It's accurate. Well, typically they're not accurate, so let's pretend you didn't roll a two. Roll again. Okay. Oh, I got a four. Oh, it's not accurate. <laughs> so, no. Now you have to make your direction extent of error die roll. This is where you roll both dice, and it's like a sniper roll. Yeah, okay. Color direction. Right. White's the distance. So he rolls. Okay, so I'll roll. All right, so I rolled two dice. I rolled a four and a one. A four on the colored and a one on the white. So colored is direction. Now, my spotting round, the way it's set, uh, I'm going to move one hex from the four position, which would put now put me in CC8. Yep, go ahead and put that spotting round in CC8. There was a footnote E on... About cheaters never prospering. <laughs> and prospers never cheat. Yeah. On that, which stated the extent of error die roll is halved if in a pre-registered hex. So if you roll a six on your white, it would be six hexes away. It's a big miss, right, yeah. on the spotting round. But if it was pre-registered, it would only be three away, halved ah. on that die roll. Okay. All right, so I've got a spotting round firmly placed on CC8. And that allows us to go to the next column called converting and or correcting a spotting round. The observer has radio contact, battery access, and a spotting round on board. Yes. You meet all those conditions. So now, this would happen in your next prep, or no, your final fire. So let's say it's the Russian turn. 
for some odd reason they do nothing here. The player forgets to prep them. He, he preps them all, and, and he does he does nothing. Same yeah. situation. So the next round, then, in a defensive fire phase, you would be asked this question. Do you wish to cancel your spying round? Uh, no, because this looks like this is going to hit infantry. It looks good. Yeah, that's what I want. It is what you want. Now this is this is interesting about this because I could have placed uh, you know I could have placed my um, my artillery request in a spot that I could see, and because of the ac- inaccuracy die roll, it could drift quite a bit. It could drift out of my line of sight, correct, and farther in into enemy tasty enemy territories. I wonder if anybody would ever go so far as to hope for an inaccurate die roll. You know, they, they get the artillery request, they place it as close as they can and hope for an accuracy that will pull it into uh, valid targets. Yeah, I think... Because you don't have to case, be able to see... You, you no longer need to be able to see them for the artillery to Well, hit. you can call in an FFE-1. Mm-hmm. I think right away. Oh, I think that's going to be in the flow chart. And if you do that, it can go off a lot and end up hitting, yeah, some spot you can't see, but it's already an FFE, so wherever it hits, it's blowing up. Yeah. That's a situation where you could use that. Okay. Yeah. All right, so. So you do not wish to cancel it. Right. If you said yes, you'd go over to A, that black letter A, which brings you back to the beginning to replace it in a different place. Okay. Recorrect it. So you could move it from there. Oh, I hate that. Going to re-move it again, get it closer. I was six off, right? Yeah. Uh, so then the question comes, do, does the observer have a line of sight to blast height? And the blast height's two levels up of smoke. Mm-hmm. And in this case, he would have line yeah, of sight he, to blast he height. He may not be able to see the bottom of the hex, right? Right. The ground level of the hex, but he, two level up hex. You know, he can't see that, Jeff, can he? I think he, why, why wouldn't he be able to? I don't think that edge of the building's going to cut that off. Is you want to string it? We're going to string it. <laughs> yes, and our line of sight checks out. So the just barely. Yeah, our observer can see. So he the blast does height. have a line of sight to the blast height. Right. And there's a black letter B by that. And for the life of me, I can't find. Out. Oh, here it's over here. If you were in an FFVC procedure, you would um, you'd be able to. If if an artillery request go to A, if it's a spotting round go to B. Yeah, it would just move you. For, if you have an FFEC on board and you're gonna uh, draw again, you get access. You're gonna lay in a new FF, FFE. Then you go to this little black B here and you go from that position. So you don't have to start at the beginning with contact and access once again. Right. Can you imagine trying to work through this without the chart? Actually, uh, you probably did originally. I always did you? for years. Yeah. And the chart is marvelous. Yeah, it's a great thing. I don't know who did, whoever was involved in that. Thank you. And now uh, a word from our, well, not our, yeah, I guess one of our sponsors. One of our. One of our sponsors for today's show, Mr. Eric Hill. Eric Hill, thank you very much. He was kind enough to send to us four bottles of very nice beer. Four large bottles. Very large bottles. Of uh, very nice beer from Oregon, where I, I assume Eric lives in Oregon. This particular beer is from Eugene, Oregon. Each beer is a little bit different. I'm not sure if they all come. Well, we'll we'll go through them and 
see where they're all from. This is the first one we're going to open. This is a uh, Nin- Ninkasi, the Ninkasi Brewing Company in um, Eugene, Oregon. The Tricera Hops Double, <laughs> yeah, Double IPA India Pale Ale. Tricera Hops Pale Ale. So we're going to pop this open. Dave, would you do the? Oh, wait a minute. I, I don't see the opener. Did you yeah, say? Hold on. Did you oh. say that was the first bottle you were going to open? Oh, well, I accidentally opened another one. Yeah, I see this empty bottle over on the shelf, yeah, Jeff. Sorry. This one. No, it came empty, Dave. <laughs> Must have popped open in the mail. This one is Lagunitis yeah. Hop Stupid Ale, and that's Hop bottled stupid? and brewed. Yes, bottled and brewed in Petaluma, California. We got a problem. I can't find the Stooges, so I'm using the old-fashioned way. Oh, that's a boring yeah. thing. Yeah, sorry. You know, and um, just like a lot of things, I really don't know anything about pale ale, India pale ale, or... I like them. They're hoppy. That means a lot like of hops. Them. Extra hops, that means, yeah. means they're extra tart. In Actually, fact, we have two bottles here, Dave, that... Uh, well, one bottle you didn't get any of, I'm sorry to say. Was Robin this the my organic? Wife and I drank it. Yeah. The organic fishtail, organic India pale ale? Yeah, the organic India pale ale was fabulous. Olympia, Washington. Yeah. Very delicious. The fish Brewing Company. So here I go for the Ninkasi. I'm going to take my first sip. Oh, yes. Kind of citrusy. I smelled that before it got in my yeah. mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very delicious. Very flavorful. Dave and I were <sighs> noticing... Great aroma. We've, we've suddenly uh, gotten a little cheap. We've been trying out the very inexpensive <laughs> six-packs that we can get at our local purveyor of... Fine liquors. Yeah, this and sure so makes uh, Dave was. He came in with a six pack of Bush, which the large, the sixteen ounces. How much was this six pack? Ah, uh, three three ninety nine, three eighty nine. Yeah. And is there is there any flavor at all in there? Well, you know, I thought it wasn't bad. Oh, earlier to start off, but as soon as I got a smell of this and taste, yeah, yeah, you can't go back. Why you pay for the yeah. good brewskis, right? So it's best to start with the inexpensive beer and then work your way up to the expensive beer, I think. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't taste anything. Mm. This is delicious. It is delicious. Thank you, Eric Hill, for that. Get a little bit dry as we're working through the OBA here. Thank you very much. I wish I... I wonder what that organic pale tasted like, but I guess I'll never know, You Jeff. never... <laughs> I'll have to ask Robin, I suppose. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Robin has been a part of our show. So. She has, yes. So, and she's very appreciative too, Eric. Thank you from from Robin. Uh, okay, so now, what's our next step? Next is to so we've established line of sight. Line of sight is good. So the answer is yes. So do you wish to move or correct your spotting around, Jeff? No, I th- mm. I like it right there. You do, but yeah. mm, boy, CC seven might be better. Problem is, if you're correcting it and it stays a spotting round, the rushes might move. So you're just going to leave it there. And yeah, I'm going to leave it there. Now, if you wish to, uh, so do you want to convert, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to yes. So do you wish to move it? The answer is no. Do you wish to convert the spotting round in place? Yes. Yes. To an FFE 1. Then the question becomes, do you have a line of sight to the base level of a, this is why the rules are hard to read through. Yeah. And. Does the observer have a line of sight to the base level of the spotting round hex? Base level of the hex. In this case, yes. yes. 
If not, did you have a line of sight to its blast height and to a known enemy unit and or adjacent to it? Well, we're not good. we don't have time to cover every contingency. <laughs> okay. So we have to go with So we're going to invite people to <laughs> read through the chart, take it with you to the bathroom, take it on an airplane. Well, let's do a quick Leave your so, iPods at home. So if you didn't have to the base level of the actual hex, yeah. If if all right, let's say it landed in Okay, let's say it landed in BB7. If it was in BB7, I would not have Oh, let's see. That would, that, would cross, that would cross the wall. So would I have line? I would still have you line still of sight. still would, but you know what? I think it would hit the building. Let's assume you can't see that hex. Okay, everybody. let's assume we can't. So then the answer is no. You don't have line of sight to the base level. So then would you have a line of sight to the blast height? Yes. If it was here, would we have had a line of sight to blast CC height? CC6? That's a two-story nope, building. two-story. Okay. So this, if this had been a one-story building, and the guy was sitting in the blind hex right behind a one-story building. Six, and it was one story in front of him. That would be a case where I would not have line of sight to the base, base level, but, but I would, would to the have, blast height. Uh-huh, but you can't have just the blast height. You also have to have a known enemy unit in or adjacent to that spotting round hex. Oh, okay. So if you know it's going, you're going to hit somebody... With that OBA, yeah. you don't have to see that base level. As long as you can see the height of that spotting round and somebody and know in someone's or next adjacent. to that, yeah. you can next let to, loose. It would have to be next to it, yeah. Yep, that's what it is. But in your or, case, <clears throat> right? Okay, you do see the base level of the spotting mm-hmm. round hex. So then the question is, if there are enemy units in or adjacent to the artillery request hex, are all of them unknown? Okay, so we're going back to our actual example here? Yes, thank you. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yes, they are all unknown. Now, you... Because these guys are all concealed. You are faced with the extra chit draw. No, not again. Yes. This is chitty. I didn't know you... I didn't know you could do it twice. It says... Well, you're new. C- you've, C- you've been playing for 21 C, years. which we read already. Oh, these extra chit draw... The, these extra chits drawn when all the enemy units are adjacent to the placement hacks are unknown or not permanently removed. So it goes back into the pile. So if you were to draw red here, it's put back in the pile. Okay. Okay. The extra draw. Black, too, would go into the pile. So at this point, you have no known enemy. Right. You're pulling up that chit or card again, and it's going to say black. Good job, Jeff. Okay. I now, got black. Now, if it's red, you lose, access is lost, you remove the spotting round. Okay. Since it's red, I mean black, you convert it to an FFE1. And this extra chit draw came about because all of the enemy units were unknown to Unknown, me. concealed. Okay. Correct. So you convert it to an FFE1. And if they were known, then we wouldn't have had to do this extra chit draw. No. We would have just gone right on right to, to the explosions. effect. Okay. Which is convert it to an FFE1. Yeah. Resolve it. This is good, because I've, I've played this a number of times, but haven't really thought it through that far. That really makes sense. Because if they were unknown, I would have to make the extra chit draw. Otherwise, well, it just makes sense. Yeah, and it looks like the first time you did the extra draw was because you were placing an artillery request where you didn't know anybody right. was. And the next time, it's when you're correcting that. Yeah. Okay, so anytime you're putting it somewhere, it looks like. Yeah. So... 
All right. You get to resolve your explosive devices. Yes. So what happens when I resolve it is that um, there's effect in seven hexes. The hex that I'm in and each of the adjacent hexes around it. That's seven hexes. And I can resolve this individual die rolls for each hex. Each hex separately. Two dies, obviously. And in this case, we'll say I've got a 120 millimeter artillery piece. And I can resolve these in any order that I want, but I'm going to say what order that, I, that I'm going to do them in just sure. ahead of time. So I always I say, like, probably okay, a good pick a hex. Yeah. Or often with my opponent, you point to a hex and I'll roll. Right. You know, something like that. So and I'll start at the top of the clock. I'll start with CC7, and then I'll move around to uh, DD7. Now, we should still roll for CC7 to see if we create shell holes. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to go clockwise starting with CC7. So uh, let me do the rolls. All right, but before we resolve this, you've got something? Yeah, I think if we should go back and look at, do you wish to move or correct the spotting round? And we said no, but if you didn't like where it was placed and you wish to move it, the question would be, do you want to convert it to the SR to an FFE1 after correction or just correct the spotting round? So if you said you wanted to convert it after correction, that means it's going to be an FFE1. It's going to go off no matter where it lands. Yeah. That's where you could hit your own troops or empty spaces or whatever. So you can elect to say, yes, I want to correct it and convert it. Yes. And then you just you have to take it wherever, wherever it goes. Yep, an okay. FFE1. And your other choice is, though, to just correct? Yes. Okay. So you place, in either case, whether you're converting it or just correcting it, you place an artillery request within 18 hexes of the spotting round hex, not in the spotting round hex because you're obviously correcting it. Yeah. Footnote R. Boy, within 18 hexes. Wow. Oh, R is about an observation plane. We're going to skip that. We're not doing that or no bar, all those weird stuff yeah. on this. Um, so does the observer have a line of sight to a location in that hex? We'll say yes. If there are enemy units in or adjacent to it, are all of them unknown? Once again, you're repeating the pattern, and then you'd have that extra chit draw, and you'd place the spotting round or artillery request in the hex, and then make another accuracy die roll. So you're really repeating a lot of the same functions from the previous section. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, the difference being, you have that opportunity to put that FFE1 in, no matter where it lands. Yeah. And then accurate, if it's no, you just make the same extent of error. Uh, you know, die right. roll, mm -hmm. like a sniper. Okay. And now we're back to you resolving yours. So we'll go back to resolving. So as I said, I'm going to start at the top of the clock, CC7, which there's nothing there. But we're going to see if it's going to leave shell holes or other, other such things. And uh, so, oh, I guess we should get our chart out. So the 120 millimeter off-board artillery that I'm using is going to hit on the 24 column Correct. of the infantry fire table. And uh, just looking down on this, I see there is no green dot. There would be no shell hole possible oh. at all on the 24 column. I'd to have be... to be on the 30 column. Holy cow, I would have yeah. sworn it was a... And you've got to look for this on the bottom on the infantry fire table, go down. And this is in the full rules, by the way. None of this stuff is in the starter kit. So if you're scrambling around in your <laughs> right. starter kit right. looking for all this, it's not in there. Maybe in the next starter kit, uh, <coughs> starter kit number eight or whatever it is they're going to do. So you got to look down in the bottom and you can see that a green dot on the IFT means that there could be a shell hole in there. Anyway, no possibilities for shell holes. Okay. So, anyway, I rolled a 9 in CC7, 
Nothing's going to happen there. So now I'm going to move around the clock. I'm going to go to DD7, and I roll a, ooh, a 5. So a 5 on the 24 column is a K slash 4. But there's modifier to that roll because he's in a building. Uh, Yes, that's right. So we're going to add 2. So it's a plus 3 morale check. That's correct. So those guys are going to have to take a morale check. Concealment doesn't matter because OBA... Doesn't care. It doesn't care. If you're because hiding behind that chair or yeah, not. Right. It's just going to come and hit you. Yeah. So then we'll, and I won't actually, I won't actually roll for that because oh, right. that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Really right. in our, in our, though he, I he guess. rolls, he makes it or not. And blah, well, blah, and blah. I guess I was going to ask about rubble too, but um, to reduce a building to rubble, uh, let's see what we would have to have. So the, yeah, there are other consequences. In this case, I'm, I, those guys are in a wooden building. Uh, looking down here on the chart, I would have to roll a four. I rolled a seven. I, well, modified Nine, to a whatever. seven. Oh yeah. So, right. um, so no, the building does not go down to rubble, so we don't have to worry about that. We'll go on to our next hex of DD eight. I don't know. There's nothing in there. Does it matter? Not to me. Anyway, I rolled a seven. Nothing there. There's some woods there now moving around. CC nine. Nothing in there. What can you change? Can woods get reduced to anything? No, I, don't I don't think, think they so. can. They don't get reduced to rubble or yeah, sticks no, and stones. Toothpicks? Skip those, yeah. yeah. Twigs? It's badly splint, bad splinters. Firewood? Yeah. <laughs> Kindling? So I guess I'll skip the other woods there at uh, BB8. Yeah. And I'll move right around to BB7, which is a stone building. Plus three. So now I'm going to, and I rolled a 6 plus 3 is a 9, and a 9 on the 24 is going to be a plus 2 morale check for those guys. So now I've done all all of the hexes except for the one in the center, which is CC8. And I'll roll for that, and ooh, I rolled a 2. A snake eyes. Snake eyes. Looks like an 8 to me, but a snake eyes. <laughs> it's a snake eyes. It's a critical hit. <laughs> that is a critical hit. And yeah. that's... At a neg one for air bursts because they're in the woods. That's right. So, four KIA, four killed in actions, yeah. four units removed from the board. Right. Did you double it for a critical hit? Uh oh no, I didn't. Aha. Uh-huh. Off so it's the more. chart. It's off the chart. Yes. <laughs> it's more. <laughs> oh, here I have a question for you, Dave. So I'm looking on the oh, chart no. here. Yeah, I'm sorry. So we're looking on here, and I'm I'm seeing that uh, in the 24 column... He's on the infantry uh, IFT table. I'm on the IFT, and the 24 column for my Mm -hmm. 120-millimeter, it says here, for instance, that wooden buildings uh, can go to rubble um, with a black dot. So there's black dots in the 4-die roll, the 3, and the 2, but not in the 1. So does that mean that they don't go to rubble... Um, yeah, that's because it's an original die roll, and an original die roll has to be a two, of course. It's not yeah, you can't roll a one with two die. Right, Snake Eyes is two. Not in this game, anyway. No. Not in my town. <laughs> hey, okay, we I were at family camp. Yeah, you S- were at family camp. Side note, in Iowa. Okay, Dave, Dave took his family to <laughs> family camp. And his, he, that's the background. <laughs> Yes, thank I'm you. bringing you up to date. Coming out of nowhere in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of the OBA flowchart. Family from another area, another church than ours. Our church kind of went as little families, you know. Yeah. And these people were from somewhere else. And my son came running over and goes, "Dad, 
Dad, there's people in the dining area, and they're playing Settlers of Catan. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So for you ASL players, you probably don't think it's as cool as Jeff does, but so I ran over there and went, wow, they are playing Settlers of Catan. I said, hey, you guys playing a game? Where'd you learn it? Yeah. I love gaming. Do you ever play Squad Leader? Yeah. <laughs> I have a podcast. The it's two a natural squads. progression. It, Settlers well, of Catan, Squad did. Leader. You know. Yeah. And uh, so anyway. Thought that was cool. Sorry to interrupt everybody. No, that's very cool. Okay, I'm with the flow chart. So you were rolling. And they probably thought, what a strange man. (laughs) No. Get away from us. Of course, you know what? Actually, there's that immediate bonding that happens. Yeah. Because you're at this place, and suddenly you're like, wow, this guy knows settlers, you know? Yeah. He's got to be like us. Yeah. At immediate, he's like us. Those settlers, I mean, not to rain on your parade. No, that's, that's fine. a nice parade. But I mean, that that game is pretty widely sold now. I think they sell it in Target. And yeah, but it's, it's getting some. Still, you know, but still, you know what I mean. Yeah, but still, it ain't monopoly. It's like a gateway drug. <laughs> it I mean, ain't the monopoly. Guy, yeah, no, it's not monopoly. Okay, so we've done all of our our uh, resolution. resolution. Of the FFE one. Yep. So let's go to. The FFV2 correction and fire. Okay. Observer has radio contact, yes. Battery access, yes. Yes. And an FFV2 on board, yes. Yes. Because you flipped the one over to a two. After the the resolution. End of that first resolution. Right. It happens immediately. Yes. Do you wish to cancel it? No, why would I? No reason. You want to hit them all again. Yes. So the answer is yes. No. (laughs) No answer, sorry. (laughs) No. Now, if it was yes, the excess... Loss, remove the FFE. You just take it off the board. Yeah, and that's okay, the end of it. I want to cancel it. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. So let's say all your cavalry rode into that area. Yeah. Cancel my FFE. But you said no. So disregarding smoke, do you have a line of sight to the base level? Still do. Still yes. Still do. If not, would Now, you... they keep asking that question. They do. And my guess is... Things must change. Yes. Like if a building gets gets turned to rubble... And kills everybody. Maybe it would then... open line of sight... To an otherwise hidden hex. Could, and if all the men moved out of the hex, the next one, if not, right, does the observer right. have the line of sight to the blast height and a yeah. location in or adjacent with known enemy units? Right. Yeah. So if they all scattered, right. And your answer is going to be you do see somebody in the hex now because the concealment's gone. Yes. So, yes. Do you wish to move or correct your FFE2? Uh, I... I yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. into that nice yeah, let's, open ground unit out yeah, there. Yeah, let's go to CC7. That he hasn't hit yet. So, yes, I would like to correct it. I'm hoping to to move it one let's say, X north. All right, let's, let's call say it yes. Now, if it was no, you'd just resolve the FFE2, boom, yeah. and the same hexes again. Right. But you say yes. So, does the observer have a line of sight to the blast height? Yes. Yes. Do you, then you place an artillery request again. Okay, so, so we're going back to the AR. counter yep. and put it within three hexes of the FFE2. Ick, which it would be. In this case, it would just be one hex. It's just the adjacent hex. And then do you have a line of sight to the location, to a location, a location in the AR hex? Yes. And if it wasn't, you'd remove it again or cancel the fire mission. Okay. But yes, if there are enemy units in or adjacent to it, are all of them unknown again to you? Unknown? No. No, because now you've revealed them with the... Yeah, because from the fire, from the effects that I had... Correct. Obviously, some units broke and yeah. lost their concealment. So whatever. the answer is no. So you yeah. place your FFE2 in the hex. Yeah. 
It's going off as an explosion Boom. no matter where it lands. Boom. Boom. Yeah. Now you roll for accuracy. Okay. One or two for a German. Oh, one die. Oh, it's a six. You are off. So no. You um, Roll for accuracy. No, it's not. Now you make an extent of error die roll. Now note this. The maximum extent of error for the FFE2 correction is one hex. Ah. It's only going to be off one hex. No matter what. No matter what. Unless, I could roll six, well, six. Technically, unless the uh, correction is mandatory, like you can't see anybody in the hex. Okay. You had to change it, roll one die. Or both dice, yes. Colored two. Yeah. Colored two. So direction is two. One hex. One hex. Because it's always one hex. Well, that's fine. Well, it's going to move it over to DD6 then. Go ahead. And now you're going to strike to uh, accurate. No, you made your your uh, direction change, so yeah. now resolve your FFE2. Okay. And so, flip it to a C immediately when you're done. Okay. So in this case now, um, it would affect, it, it's going to affect uh, the squad that's in CC6 that has been sitting there out in the open ground. That's assuming they haven't moved through all of this for yep. whatever reason. It'll also affect anybody that's left in DD7. Obviously, you know, because it's moved, my my circle of effect has changed. Right. There so, you go. There we go. But that's what's neat about it. You can, yeah. you can break a couple guys on the right side of your OBA and then shift it a little to the left or whatever. Yeah. So this is I, – I didn't really remember this. The maximum error that you can get when you correct on an FFE2 is one hex. That's what the slow chart says. So good to know if it's, if it's correct. Oh, wait a minute. Dave, you're holding the chart upside down. This whole time. <laughs> what? Okay, you've got the chart com- positioned correctly now? Yeah, so yeah, that okay. is correct. Okay. And um, it goes back to something we didn't cover on converting or correcting a spotting round. It, for every three, I read it straight up. The maximum extent of error equal the distance of correction divided by three. So if you were correcting your spotting round... Yeah. Nine, it can only be off three from where you're throwing it. So the further away you're trying to adjust it, the more it can be off of your artillery request hex. Yeah. In this case, the maximum you can convert it, as you said, Jeff, off the air with three. So it's one hex. Yeah. Now you resolve it, you flip it to a C. All right. Now we go to the next phase, or well, next turn. So it's back to your. Yeah, my defensive fire or whatever. Yeah. Um, the FFEC procedures, you have to have, of course, radio contact still. You would roll for that. If you lose it, it stops. It, it continues to go. If you lost it on FFE1, the two would still be resolved in the hex. Yeah. If you lost radio contact. Battery access, you need to get and an FFEC on board. So did you have an, a line of sight to the FFE's blast height during the current phase prior to uh, achieving access? You rolled for access again. Battery access with a card. You got right. it black. Yeah. Did you have the line of sight from last time? Yes. Sure. Do you desire to convert it in that hex to a one or move it? Well, I would say move it. We'll move it because, because there's, you wiped no, there's out nobody these guys. Yeah, they're so all gone. The answer is uh, no. Then you, do you desire an artillery quest or a spotting round to place in your new area? Yeah. Which one? An artil- artillery well, request. Well, an ar- artillery request, right? Okay, so if an artillery request, you go back to letter A. 
at the beginning of the chart. Yeah. And walk through all this again. Now let's see. What 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 would what would make difference. you choose one or the other? Yeah. If a spotting round you go to B, converting or correcting the spotting round. I think the spotting round, because it it'll be off less because of that divide by three rule. Right. Than an eight artillery request. Oh, artillery okay. request is like starting from scratch all yeah. over again. Yeah, that makes sense. So then you would maybe want a spotting round. You it's may a good not... thing we don't have a live studio audience. No. Because <clears throat> You know, they'll be asking us questions, but now we don't have all that, you know, annoying questions and stuff. And we ju- we can just keep saying, oh, yeah, that makes sense, and move on. <laughs> I'm kidding. And actually here, either way you go, if you're going to put an artillery request or spine around, you go to those different spots in the flow chart, and you flow again. Yeah. And that would end it. Had you said, yes, you want to convert it in hex, it runs through similar processes as before. Do you have a line of sight to the base level? Yes, are there enemy units adjacent, all of them unknown, extra chit draw, and then you convert it to an FE1, and you keep blasting away. Yeah. And that's it. So there we go. That's all the way through the flow chart. Yeah. So uh, we didn't hit every every darn little item, but covered it uh, pretty good in general. I And then there's a couple other uh, tables, or charts rather, uh, flow charts. On the main chart, which I've not played with. There's something called Rocket OBA. Have you done that? Yeah, I have done Rocket. It fires. So is that later war scenarios, I assume? Uh, something it's like, like that? the Katusha things. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like that? <laughs> that was very, that really took me there. <laughs> and it, 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 I think the main idea is it gets off by a lot. It oh, can okay. land like anywhere. It's kind of crazy OBA. Yeah. Okay, and then there's the illuminating rounds, which night is for, rules. for night rules. I've done those. Yeah, okay. Which uh, it only adds a few more steps. Only a few. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound too bad. But we're not going to read through that tonight. No, we won't do those tonight. That car- that covers it. Get your OBA flowchart. Okay, folks, two episodes of off-board artillery, no excuse to not play it. Yeah, get in there, play it. If you don't get it perfectly, it's okay. I have a hard time getting over that myself. I admire kids yeah. and gamers who just kind of play, go for it, and they play. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And a lot of that flowchart was a little repetitive once you got into certain ideas of yeah. guy in the line of sight or not. It, it repeats, so it's right. even less difficult than it looks. Yes, yes, it is. I would say uh, skip reading the rules, go go through the flowchart a few times, then go through the rules once, then go through the flowchart I would agree. Yeah, I think you'll get it. So, there we go. And Jeff. Yes, Dave. Isn't Aslock coming up soon? Believe so. ASL Oktoberfest? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Do we have an interview we could put in here? Okay, Dave. Well, we have a we still have a couple of interviews left over from the ASL Open that still? we did. Yeah. That was so like in to, April. Yeah, I know. You're kidding me. No. We did a lot of interviews then. So, we've got a nice interview with Brett Hildebrand. Oh, yeah. And Aslock is coming up. You know, in just a few months. Like, God, I hate to say it, but April, I mean, October is just around the corner, practically. Get out your Halloween decorations. So uh, why don't we put that interview on there, and um, we'll come back after that and close the show. All right, let's do it. All right, well, the interviews just keep on coming. They're rolling in, folks. It's like the Academy Awards here. It's like we're out on the red carpet, and now we have, it just keeps getting better. We have Brett Hildebrand. Not Hildebrandt. He's not one of the Hildebrandt brothers no. who painted all the cool Tolkien paintings no. <laughs> for The Hobbit and all that. No. 
No, this more important. Brent more important than those artists. The, and we got to interview Ken Smith yet. We now have an in with Ken Smith. Oh, nice. You know him. He does the covers for the yeah. journal. Yeah. So, but you're more important than him, Brett, because you do what? Would you tell us, please? I'm the uh, tournament director for ASL Oktoberfest, or ASLOC to its friends. Uh, so I organize the big tourney in Cleveland each year at the beginning of October, where we run it uh, just prior to Columbus Day weekend, and it's kind of a week-long festival of all things ASL. That's a pretty big tournament. It's the biggest in the world. Somehow I, mean, I pictured you would have gray hair. <laughs> yeah, you seem far <laughs> too young. Because of that. Well, yeah. I'm the third person in the totem pole to oh. really um, handle it. Uh, the other two? The, the S-Lock um, that's coming up is number 25. So it's been around for, for quite a while. Um, was there a fish guy that started B- this? Bill Fish, fish Connor, Connor. Um, and uh, Daryl Action Burke were the originators of it, and they ran the first 10 years. Um, eight of those years were in Youngstown and two in Cleveland. And then they passed the torch on to uh, Mark Nixon, um, who was the uh, primary force behind it for the next nine years. And uh, <laughs> Bill Hayward helped him out and was pulling night duty. So um, <laughs> after a while, Mark <laughs> jokingly, I thought he was joking about, you know, hey, so you want to run Aslock sometime? And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> and I thought he was kidding, and then he kept asking. And after a couple of years, I realized he was serious. <laughs> and I told him, well, if I win it, sure, I'll run it the next year type deal. And that never happened, but I eventually took over after nine years. He got a little burned out on the game and uh, transitioned it to me. And luckily, Bill Hayward's continued on as the uh, night shift tournament director, so that's really been a help that uh, we've got somebody there overnight, and he's done a great job. He's actually been oh. the longest-running TD of it at uh, Aslock. He's done it for 14 years now, and so this I've done is it the last five. correct. It runs 24 hours a day? Yeah, we have somebody in the room 24 hours a day, and their game's played the vast majority of those 24 hours. That, uh, If possible, Bill likes to get an overnight game to keep him awake, but... Uh, uh, the amount of play that happens at Aslock is, is very impressive. And people play into the wee hours, and like I say, we've got somebody there all night. So if you wake up at 4 in the morning and you can't sleep, you can always go play some ASL. Now, why do you need somebody there overnight? It's Otherwise, just it's a little easier. Bar if, fights. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just Illicit a little easier sex. with all the stuff left up there and everything. That, um, oh, yes, if people yes, are playing, okay. we've yeah. got somebody there, yeah. and it, it's not a concern. So um, that works out. And like I say, that a lot of times we'll have games going until the wee hours, uh, so it works out well. You located at the same venue every year? Um, we we were at the same place. Mark took it to a place in Middleburg Heights, um, Ohio, and it was there. I think he was there nine years, and I was there the first three. So we were at the same place for 12 years, and... Two years ago, um, I moved it to uh, Holiday Inn just up the street by the uh, the Holiday Inn Airport in Cleveland. So we switched venues, and this will be our third year at that place, which has been very well received. It's a uh, very nice facility. We're up on the uh, in the penthouse on the sixth floor um, at the very top. We've got uh, actually natural lights on about... I think two or three sides, so there's a lot of windows, um, which kind of adds a little bit to the excitement that yeah. you can actually you know, see outside while you're gaming and everything. Um, but we actually have a private penthouse so that we're the only ones up there. Um, and we also uh, run a bar up there and that kind of thing for a lot of the time. They, the hotel runs that for us. So it's a, it's a fairly nice setup. Uh, the Holiday Inn's been very well received by everybody, and uh, they've been happy with the venue. So. 
We, uh, Dave and I were looking at an issue of LFT, issue 11, I think. And there was a picture in there of where they play squad leader, which was in like a oh. palace yeah, uh, it's in a, Paris. It's a palace in France. And if you saw, I don't know if you've seen that, but <laughs> I, I think I'm I've sure seen the Holiday the Inn is nice, about, but it's the probably, military or it's something. It's probably not quite the same as uh, European palaces, but you know we do what we can. <laughs> well, we can. It's the quality of the players that's really that's the, what the really matters. Thing. And at Aslock, you run into the, the highest quality players. So we get players from around the world uh, that literally come into play. Yeah. We, we get a few from Australia each year. Uh, several come in from Europe. Um, you know, we get a lot from Sweden, Denmark, and a variety of different countries. Uh, some guys from France show up each year. Usually, a few from the UK. So it's a probably the best cross section of players from around the world that you'll run into. In, Pretty in amazing. Tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And it's ten days. Uh, we officially claim the tournaments, I guess, eight days. That uh, we run it from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, okay. So our official dates this year are October third through tenth. Mark your calendars, and hopefully you can be there. But we usually start getting people in on the, about the Friday before. We usually have a game or two on that opening Friday. Uh, Saturday, there'll be a lot more people coming in. Um, so we'll have, you know, we'll probably have 20 people by, eh, 20 to 30, I think we had this past year by Saturday evening. And then Sunday, we get even more. Um, Dave Gennard's been hosting a picnic at his house, uh, which is relatively nearby the hotel the last three or four years, which has been kind of a nice gathering point to get people there a little earlier, a reason to come in early, socialize, and hang out with the ASLers. And it's a great thing that, you know, Dave's opened up his home to people and come in and have a traditional American cookout and mm -hmm. you know, have some fun. The Swedes will usually bring some exotic liquor to spice things up, so it's, it's a good time. Sounds wonderful. It's been a lot of fun. And this is, uh, I mean, obviously this must be then a destination, like a vacation for some of these people. They're going to take Definitely. a week off Definitely. to play squad leader. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. uh, And if you're flying in from Europe or Australia or something like that, it makes sense to, yeah. to come in and spend eight to ten days. And, uh, you know, you can see the sights of Greater Cleveland and, and play a ton of squad leader. But, you know, that way, if you're coming that far to play, you can kind of maximize your dollars and get in a lot of ASL for your time. And you're there all the whole time? Um, I usually show up uh, for the duration starting on Monday. Are you independently wealthy? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. no. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that would be nice. I, I take a week off work, oh, okay. just like everybody else, to be there. Yeah. Um, but I, I show up on the Monday before. Usually I'll stop by on... Um, some years I've stopped by on Saturday to make sure things are going smoothly and everything. Uh, this past year, my son had a hockey game that was just down the road, so it worked out beautifully that uh, <laughs> I could go watch him play hockey and then stop by, say hi, drop some stuff off, and make sure everything was going well. And then I always come in for the uh, picnic um, on Sunday and uh, check in and do things. Um, but Wild Bill and Pete are usually there the opening weekend, so they handle everything if I'm not around. And then starting Monday... The, the opening weekend's a lot more informal. Uh, we do something called the World Cup, which is uh, the USA versus the world. Uh, kind of a friendly competition between uh, the nationalities to give some incentive for people to come in early and have some fun. So through Tuesday, we just count games between USA players and the world and count up wins and losses, and whoever has the most wins wins. And we have a uh, plaque that has all the names on it and or the results. Unfortunately, it's called the World Cup for a reason, as we've yet to win as the uh, Americans. But uh, we're hopeful. Right? We've come close yeah. a few times. 
I think two years ago we were, it was uh, the final game decided it. We were one game away. Who's been winning it? Uh, the world does every year. The world, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's just the, the Americans against everyone else. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We usually have yeah. twelve to fifteen world players or so yeah. um, that come in by the Tuesday, and uh, so. But like I like to say, if you're flying across an ocean to play ASL, you're probably a pretty good ASL player. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and that that shows. Yeah. So. And how many attendees? Uh, lately, usually? we've been running around, um, I think we had 144, 148 last year. We've been in the wow. 140s uh, recently. Since I've been running it, I think it's been between 140 and 150 every year but one. So our attendance was actually up last year despite the uh, downturn in the economy. So I was uh, quite encouraged by that. It yeah. was really good to see. That's wonderful. I imagine that last day of the tournament is a little emotional almost. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people crying. Yeah. Saying goodbye. You know? Well, really. You know, you go a long way. You meet a lot of these like-minded individuals. Yeah. A lot of times people to are too goodbye. tired to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long grind for that yeah. week. But yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. And everybody enjoys it. Uh, it's, you know, it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, we have the big Grofaz tournament that uh, is kind of the... Um, you know, the main piece of the tournament where we're honoring the, the big winner, but we have usually 35 to 40 minis that get run throughout the week, starting on Wednesday. And so uh, a lot of different people come away with uh, some hardware and, uh, you know, win accolades and have a lot of fun, which is really the, the bottom line. Yeah. So when do you start planning the tournament? Uh, usually the year before. Honestly, We've actually already got a contract signed for 2011, so we know the dates for 2011. We've got the hotel locked in, and we're all set for that. So uh, we're in good shape there. My goal each year is to have the mini themes decided because we run, I don't know, it's around 30 different minis that we come up with different themes for. Um, so I like to have that decided and uh, have the flyers ready and prepared by the time Winter Offensive rolls around in mid-January. So that's my goal each year. So I work best with a deadline. If I if I didn't have a deadline, it'd probably never get done. I'd wait till September or something. Mm-hmm. So this way, I get a deadline of Winter Offensive, and you know, so far I haven't missed the deadline yet. Although a couple of years I've been scrambling. So. Yeah. Dave and I have talked about coming out, and actually we came up with the idea of taking the train from Chicago to Cleveland and play, play squad leader all the way out, maybe play some well, scenarios go. that center around trains or train yards. <laughs> Using railroads, tracks, yeah. and all of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the train station goes to downtown Cleveland, and I think you can pick up the RTA from by the train station, which uh, drops you off. Um, within walking distance of the hotel. So yeah, I think it it's about works. $60 to uh, Cleveland from Chicago. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's bad. Now, the yeah. only downside is I think the train rolls in about 3 or 4 in the morning, so it's, it's not oh, the most convenient That's just when we get times. going. <laughs> and, and what's his name? Hayward will uh, Bill be will be there waiting for you when you yeah. get in, so you, you can check in <laughs> with and hot you'll milk, be all with set. A warm milk and yeah. uh, a cookies. cookies. Well, it's definitely a good time. It's something you should uh, get out to. You know, If you're a serious ASLer, you should try to get to Aslock at least once. And I did get there at least once because I went with my friend uh, Jim McDermott, and we went maybe 15 years ago. I was married. My wife's from Ohio in Toledo. And this was when it was not in Youngstown but had moved to, what was the next place? Uh, Middleburg Heights with Mark running it. I don't (laughs) have any idea. But we dropped my wife off in Toledo and then went on to the Aslock. And I remember, yeah, just big, just many, many people. I tried watching... um, the guy who later worked for MMP, 
Gary Fortenberry, maybe? Yeah, Fort. Yeah. Or, Actually, yeah, I watched Gary yeah. play for a little bit, and then that was the first time I realized how boring it is to watch people play squad leader. Uh, and I mentioned this before. I, I still, you know, wow, it's Gary Fortenberry, and I'm just going to sit here and watch him play. And, yeah, they don't last too long doing that, but he, he showed me how to, well, he just shot the smoke at the killer stack, and I was like, oh, I hate smoke. It's too complicated, but look what he did with it. <laughs> I'll have to yeah. start using those rules. Yeah, it can be a little and, tedious, uh, especially if you don't know the scenario, trying to watch something. But a lot of the better players you can learn a lot from. But it's probably easier to learn if you're actually playing them, sit down across the board. Correct. And, and that That's way you'll, that. you're more engaged in the scenario and have a vested interest, but it's it's the best way to, to learn. Is yeah, and it is. Let somebody good beat up on you. Yeah, and then, um, we had a good time, and it was but short. I, I, I don't, it used to not run that long, right? It used to be a little shorter, and when Mark started running it, they kind of started creeping out where I think it might have ran Wednesday through Sunday, and then Mark added Tuesday, and then people started showing up on Monday, and then it became a week-long thing. Yeah. And the, the other thing I want to point out is is the opportunity to show up and play for the entire week's there. You can get in a ton of games, and that's a great opportunity. There are a lot of people that roll in Wednesday night or Thursday night or something along those lines, and the main tournament doesn't start till Thursday morning. Uh, there are minis that run, you know, for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So if you you can't take the full week, yeah, do the, you know you can show up whenever you can show up, and you'll still get in a lot of games, meet a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. So if you can't get there till Friday or something, there's still a lot of ASL to be had. It's, it's still a good time. So don't don't be intimidated by the whole week thing. There there are a lot of people that can get burned out after a week of ASL. Yeah, I can't intense. do these these six gamers anymore either <laughs> well this was five games this open when i first played it and then yeah. it went to seven and i'm like oh they're killing me you know that that sunday night game was always really tough for us because yeah. we lose an hour and driving back and having to play two on sunday was always a killer i was dreaded if i was driving that that trip back uh, home yeah and so the way he's brought up at the six is nice but um, but yeah, and the open is just—I mean, the um, ass lock is is open, right? It's just so many games going on at all these different times. Yeah, and, one of the nice things is you can pretty much always pick up a game if you finish at you know 10 p.m. and want to get in a game. There's usually somebody around that you can find one, so you're usually not waiting long for a game, which is another great convenience. And that's just the law of numbers when you've got 144 people there. Usually somebody's around looking for a game, um, and we try to do a pretty good job up at the front desk of checking who's looking for a game, and you know, you let us know you're looking, and we'll, we'll match you up as quick as we can. Do you do anything to specifically uh, attract or address new players? We run, um, we do a couple things. We, we run a starter kit mini on Saturday, which... So far, we haven't had a ton of attendees coming in to play for the starter kit mini. Um, we've continued to do it just in case we have a few. I think, I think last year we had at least one that was a, a verifiable starter kit player that was excited to play in the starter kit mini, so that was good to see. Um, and it, wow, that's out just there. Just one. He just play with by himself. Uh, we, we found an opponent ah. that uh, I think uh, Chris Dory actually played him, who's uh, very interested in. Uh, Starter kit, promoting the game and everything, so he was excited to have yeah. the chance to uh, to play somebody and promote, you know, squad leader and everything. So it worked out. We, we found an opponent and were able to present. And actually, the uh, the new player that was playing in the starter kit mini won the the, the plaque, so that was kind of nice. Uh, the other big thing we offer is uh, Bill Hayward runs uh, maneuvers. Um, usually, we run it a couple days a week. 
Um, Tuesday, Friday tends to be the rough schedule, but it's kind of as needed. Um, and that's basically an opportunity for a new player to sit down with a, a grognard and walk through some different scenarios and different situations. So Bill's a, a very good teacher of the game and explaining different nuances of the game to a, a new player. Um, so that's been a great way for somebody who's not familiar with certain parts of the rules or yeah. maybe Rusty played 15 years ago and is just getting back into the game. He can sit down and work through some of the nuances. And ideally, we might have three or four new players, and Bill can work with them as a group, sit him down, make up a scenario, and he'll have uh, situations like, you know, hey, I'd like to work on my tanks, and another guy wants to work on his OBA. So he'll throw together, give him some pieces, let him push him around, and he's there to help uh, monitor and tell him, you know, okay, this is how the rule is, this is how the tanks move, this is what happens on the to hit. And it's been a real good opportunity. I know a lot of people that have uh, been real thankful for Bill that it's really up their game. And they've gone on to win, you know, little tournaments at different places or go on to, to win a mini at Aslock and different things like that. So it seems to be a real good teaching experience. Great, yeah. So. Anything that can be done to promote the game. Yeah. We're all for that. Yeah. So um, how are you doing at this tournament? Uh, I think I'm three and one right now, so I'm doing okay. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. good. Yeah. Your, is your opponent waiting now to play? Uh, he's still looking at his pieces. Oh, that's so Mike. It's not okay. Keith. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm playing Mike. <laughs> yeah, so. I saw Mike. He was trying to calculate his moves and all for his first turn. <laughs> he's really putting a lot into it. Go, Mike. Go, Brett. I like you both. I hope you both win. Can't you both just tie? Make it a tie, and everyone's happy. Yeah, why are we fighting? Yeah, why we are you all fighting? fighting. Over this game? Why is everyone trying to win? Yeah. Come on. Why can't you let the other guy win? So Bill Fishconner, what is? I never know him. He's just this legendary name in my life, you know. Yeah. Is he yeah. around? Does he play? Um, he's still around. He shows up at Aslock each year. You come to Aslock, you can meet Fish. Okay. The Grofas in person. Yeah. Um, he's a really nice guy. He was one of the um, original great ASL players. I mean, when ASL was first created and yeah. on the tourney scene and everything, he was one of the top dogs. Uh, and he kind of, I think he got a little too competitive and uh, decided it probably wasn't best for him to uh, continue to, to play and kind of gave it up. And he's playing a lot of Stratomatic baseball, but still comes and hangs out with the guys and everything. And, you know, he's a real good guy. So he's actually talking about, since this is Aslock 25 coming up, that uh, he's actually um, said he's, he might play some, actually, which I don't know that he's played uh, since he stopped running it uh, for about the last 15 years or so. But he, I think he said that he'll take on anybody in guards counterattack. So uh, if you want to get in a game guards counterattack, <laughs> Fish is your man. He'll play it faster than that game you and Spilky and them yeah, played. Yeah, probably. Those guys want to play that again. They do? Yeah. I Make them play faster. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all for speed. speed. Have you ever played speed ASL? On occasion. Uh, it's a little different game playing with a yeah. chess clock. Uh, oh, you have done a chess clock. Process. Yeah. It, it's been a long time, but uh, there was actually Kurt Martin that ran the route report. Um, one year yep. at Aslock, yep. was messing around with playing chess clock ASL as a way to just make sure people were playing fast and everything. And it was an interesting experiment. It, it changes how you play a lot where you're not mulling over, should this half squad go here or there? It's kind of like, it doesn't really matter. It, Move it, it, at some point, you just got to go and hope it's a die roll, you know, at some point. Yeah. Unless yeah, it's near that end game, like Bob Holmstrom says, when you really have to get that dance going to get everything accomplished. 
It's just, just yeah. We can spend a, a lot of time thinking about decisions that aren't that major. Yeah, uh, gee, the and plus then again, one we can screw up some stuff that is major that we because uh, <laughs> we're going we mess up anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, and you can do that going slow. I can do it going slow. I don't need to go fast to make mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds good. Well, we hope we get to see you there this year. Well, it'd be great if you guys could make it in. A lot of different people you could interview there for the podcast. Too. Oh yeah. And even better, hopefully, you can sit down and play some games. Yeah, like this one we started ten hours ago, and we're on turn two. <laughs> yeah, we might get there. We we're playing Ghost Riders, turn two. <laughs> well, we'll be sure to continue to promote uh, the tournament. Oh, that would be great. Um, people can go to www.aslock.org. That's a s l o k dot org uh, for more information. Um, usually, there'll be information up on the Game Squad forums and different things too. Uh, and you can always just send me an email if you have any questions or anything. My email is plastered over Game Squad and on uh, www.aslock.org. So you can. Find but if it your there. question is, is the tournament held in Oklahoma? The answer is okay. No. Oh no. No. Not okay. Okay. So we can Oklahoma. dispense with that right now. Yeah. The, the Aslock is just short for Oktoberfest. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Sounds good. Well, Overfest. thanks a lot for coming by. Yes, no, yes no thank problem. you, Brett. Thanks for having me. It was good to meet Appreciate you, Appreciate it. And good luck for the rest of uh, yes. ASL Open. But also good luck to Mike Stubitz. So I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Just pick No, one good luck to you, other. Mike. We're talking about you again. He's, he, he glances over here when we say his name. Play testing talk? Sure. Play okay. testing talk. Well, you know, I've, I've been playing a acapella. And you said you do have been too. I, I've been playtesting some for Acapulco as well. I think I owe Lars a few uh, playtest reports actually that I actually need to find time to send to him. Oh, you actually finished the game and didn't send them in? Yeah, I'm, I'm known for that on occasion. Where you know it's a lot more fun to play it than to write about it afterwards. <laughs> That's inexcusable. Uh, so I, I've got a few laying around that I really need to get that out, and just finding the time's been tough. So you're actually personally responsible for us not getting. Acapella out in a I don't think manner. I'd go quite that far. I'm not sure Lars is aware <laughs> that he's owed reports. But, you know, he, he might know now. Uh, but, yeah, I've been playtesting for Hakapale a fair amount, although I don't think we've played any for the last month or so. Yeah, and so one issue I wanted to say was that, again, if you're playing a player who's not experienced... Should we submit that to a playtest group? It can still be a valuable playtest report, uh, a different perspective on the scenario, um, some ideas about how a newer player might approach it. One of the tough things that can be is trying to find a balance between two experienced players and make a balanced scenario. Uh, you know, Steve Pleva playing J.R. Tracy might produce a much different result than two beginner players. <laughs> I'm usually of the proponent that trying to balance for the more experienced players that are playing a near-perfect game is ideal. But on the other hand, you can get a bad reputation on the Internet or you know the forums or something if new players play it and it's an unbalanced dog because it's really tough and there's some nuances. So providing insight to a relatively inexperienced player on one side that he can get smashed this way or something can be right. valuable. So in the same, yes, yeah, so like reversing that. So if the new players are not playing smoke correctly or something like that they're not going to be they're going to have a harder time maybe that's a bad example but you know certain strategies they'll have a harder time getting a win with one side right experienced guys will know how to skulk let's say yeah yeah if you and don't skulk the, uh, it makes it harder and then one of the ones that mmb put out that's gotten very different uh viewpoints was the special edition uh 
in Operations Magazine a couple of years ago um, with the singling campaign game. Yeah, I have that Where one. there are a lot of people that think the Americans can't win, and I, I think I could make a living playing the Americans, you know, with people if I was playing for money, especially if they're giving me the odds that they put on the Internet. As I think it's playing 10 to 1 pro-German in the, uh, the first scenario, but a lot of experienced players that know and are really good at combined arms and know how to use the, all the different capabilities of the Sherman tanks, the smoke mortars, the gun duel advantages, and really take advantage of that with the gyro stabilizers and everything, have a decided advantage um, with the Americans, where a newer player is just going to roll them up against the Panthers and get blown away. Uh, so you get some very different reports between two relatively new players and what Gary Fortenberry's opinion on the scenario might be. Right. In, in fact, I won with the Americans in my, fir- my sing- first and only singling game. Congratulations. So, See, you must be an be expert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am qualified to play test acapella. But well, it looks like Mr. Stubich, your opponent, is now ready for you. So okay. we will say goodbye again to you, and and we'll let you go. Thanks again. Thank right. you. Thank you. Well, that was great hearing that interview again. I I haven't listened to that since we talked to Brett at the ASL Open. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's yeah, going to run guy. a great tournament. Yeah, so. I hope we can get there. Let's hope so. But yeah. let's not hold our breath. Yeah. I still like to do the idea of the ASL train, where we take the train oh, yeah. to Aslock, we find some other players, and we play squad leader all the way there. Yeah. That'd be really cool. It would be cool. So, um, well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for episode 39. You know what happens next time, Dave? Episode 40. That's right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't even too. know what it's going to be. But oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, we really appreciate you, and I uh, hope you'll... Drop us an email if you'd uh, like to say hello. Please do. If you have any questions, comments, but please don't tell us we're dull. We already know that. Yes, we know that already. (laughs) And thanks for listening. And Remember to roll low. And rally well. But but not when when you're you're playing playing us. us. See you next time, everybody. Take care. Dave, you did very well with that OBA flow chart. I would say, you know, it's, it's smooth and easy now. I used to have a lot of OBA anxiety. And now you're just flowing. Yeah. Going with the flow. Going with the flow. Feeling really good, man.